I love you. Good to see you all. I especially like to be able to see the ones that are up close. So thank you for those of you who sat towards the front so I can see your eyeballs. I love it when I can see if you're awake or not, whether you're getting it. So we had a bunch of kids to our house for Easter. Actually, we came down here to the gym because they're too many for our house. And so we got 29 grandkids and about half of them got, were here for Easter. Now it's fun watching them when they're horsing around playing, eating, uh, because they get along really well. And the reason is because they all understand where they are in the order of things. Who's the boss and who's next and on down the line. They figured that out over the years and and they stick with it pretty good. And the result of that is unity. I don't know if you knew that or not. Key principle for unity is is authority and submission. That's uh, agreeable. In other words, it's not forced. It's natural. But it's always what it takes uh, is authority and submission leadership and following in every inst our chickens. You go out there and watch those chickens. Pretty soon you figure it out. That one's the boss. Sometimes it's a rooster, sometimes it's a hen. But one of them is the boss of all, all the other chickens. And then you can kind of see who that last chicken is. That chicken, he's poor chicken. He's gonna, everybody pecks on him. He's last. And so chickens, grandkids, people, churches, every multi-person organization in order for it to function well, has authority and submission in it. Uh, I played baseball in college in my sophomore year. My coach said, uh, D, you're the catcher. I said, I don't want to be the catcher. He said, you want to play? I said, okay, I'll be the catcher. <laughs> uh, the freshman year, I didn't play much. I just caught. He was a major league baseball pitcher for 14 years. It was amazing. And so I caught, he pitched for all the batting practice. And so my sophomore year, he said, you're the catcher. And then he informed me, I was not only the catcher, I was the leader. Uh, Some of these guys have been playing baseball longer than I have. I didn't even start until I got in college. They've been playing since they little bitty kids. He said, you're the catcher, you're the leader. When you're catching, you can see everybody, and you're the one in charge. You're going to tell everybody what to do, where to play, and if they mess up, you're going to tell them. Whoa. So he coached me from the sidelines. And as the season went along, um, it actually worked quite well. I tried to be nice and say, please, would you move over a little bit? Just pretty, please. <laughs> he coached yell at me. He said, Duke, that's not how you lead. Come on. Tell them what to do. Okay, okay. So anyway, I learned as a sophomore in college how to be a leader of a bunch of baseball players. And I learned that when you led well, Everybody played together well, and when you didn't, it kind of fell apart. Leadership was critically important. Everything rises and falls on leadership in almost any and every institution. Um, I teach leadership. Most of you know that. Leadership classes that I have, I've got 30 guys in one, 30 ladies in another, leadership two with another 30, and I do that every year. And leadership in churches is tricky because everybody's a volunteer except the staff, and, and they, they really can't be too bossy, too strong. But So you have to lead in a good way, in a right way, but you have to lead. Otherwise, there's disunity and all kinds of problems. 
So I've been involved in quite a few churches of late where the pastor left and then I came and filled in. Another one came. There was transitions between one leader and another. Now, there's a rule in leadership. Where no leadership exists, leadership will arise. We can't stand leadership vacuum. And it's interesting that the one that rises to leadership when there's a leadership vacuum is usually the worst leader of the bunch. But they just have this aspire to be in charge. And so they take over. And once they get entrenched, it's really hard to get them out. Uh, and so several times I've been in situations where, okay, we got to make some changes here. I'm not sure exactly how to do it nice, but we're going to work on it. And we'd work on it, and pretty soon things start going the way they're supposed to go. So big question always is, who's in charge? I was working construction back when I'm like, after my dairy cows all died. I had to pay off all my bills, so I got a construction job for a couple of years. And there was this one particular place where a whole bunch of people showed up at one spot. It was a, a road construction job. We were drilling rock and making asphalt and, and doing roads. And, and so we're all kind of milling around. Nobody knows nobody, anybody in the Boss, big boss comes up and he drives up. He says, who's in charge here? Nobody was in charge. And he pointed at me. I was 21 years old. I was the only one of that whole crew that didn't cuss. And I was the baby of the bunch. And he points at me and he said, okay, you're in charge. His name was Mr. Durkop. I said, Mr. Durkop, uh, excuse me. But I'm probably not the best one to put in charge of this. He looks at me and he says, did I ask you? I said, no, sir. He said, okay, you're in charge. I'm going to be back in a, in a half a day and things better be going well. Oh, great. So I looked around at everybody and said, so my name is D. <laughs> let's, uh, let's do something, huh? And so I figured it out, took a little bit. But we finally got rolling there, and Mr. Dirt Cop came back, and he actually gave me a raise right on the spot. So I, I didn't feel so bad about that. So as we live our life, one of the things that's so important is that we don't like to have other people ruling us, being a boss of us. We all chafe under leadership, even if it's just a little bit. And you know what the worst the place we have the most difficulty with, even though it's not what you might call overt, it's with Jesus. We really do. We kind of like to run our own life. And so Jesus is Lord. That's his title in my life. He is my Savior, he is my God, and he is my Lord, my Master, my King. But I easily slip out from under that I don't realize it often, but I start running my own life, doing my own thing, deciding what's right, what's best, what I'm going to do, and I don't, um, I'm not following Jesus as Lord, Master, King of my life. We're going to have a baptism service July 9th, and when you get baptized, it's a ceremony where you declare publicly that Jesus is Lord of your life. You go under the water, you died, you're dead, you're gone, you're buried. And you come out of the water, you're resurrected to newness of life. And that newness of life where Jesus is now Lord, Master, King of your life. So every morning, every morning without fail, I say, today, Lord Jesus, 
I present myself to you as a living sacrifice. You are master of my life. You're king. I will do whatever you ask today, no matter what it is, no matter how hard it is. But I can't unless you give me strength to do it, unless you guide me and direct me into your perfect plan and will. But I'll follow and I'll serve you. And I can only go a day without recommitting because I start doing my own thing. And you do too. That's when we backslide. That's when we sin. That's when we have relational problems is when Jesus is not king of our life. He is king. And so tonight we're going to look at 1 Peter. We're going through 1 Peter. We're going to only look at one verse tonight. But it's Jesus being boss of the whole spiritual realm as a result of his resurrection. 1 Peter 3, 21 through 22. Through the resurrection. That was last week we celebrated that through the resurrection of jesus christ who is at the right hand of god having gone into heaven after after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him so he rose from the dead and then all these demons angel every spiritual being was subjected to him he was now the boss He was now the boss as a result of his resurrection. So let's walk through some steps here just to see the process. Number one, authority over the earth and its inhabitants was originally given to Adam and Eve. God did to them what Mr. Dirtkop did to me. You're in charge. Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule. Let them rule. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth. Over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and rule. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so that was the beginning. Adam and Eve were in charge. And that will be the millennial kingdom when Jesus is ruling on this planet. And the church, the bride, is ruling with him. We will be ruling uh, the way God originally intended for mankind to rule those who are his church, his body. By the way, at the judgment seat of Christ, which we will all stand before him and give an account of our life, what we've done here. It's not determining whether you're in heaven or hell. It's determining the rewards you will take with you into the kingdom. And the significant part of the rewards that we receive at the judgment seat of Christ is the authority that we will have in the kingdom. Jesus said in one parable, you'll be in charge of ten cities. And uh, so we will be given authority to rule in the kingdom. And some people are going to be in charge of the chickens. Because they didn't do much here. And so our position with Christ ruling in the kingdom, the thousand-year reign, is determined by how we live our life now. Number two, Satan won the right to be in charge of the world and the people in it when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and followed the will of the devil. Might call it a poker game. And the devil won. And from that point on, he was in charge. He and his demons were ruling. In Luke 
The devil is tempting Jesus. He said that he led him up to him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I'll give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me. I give it to whomever I wish. It's been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Number three, Jesus regained the power and position from the devil when he rose from the dead. My dad was in the Navy for 20 plus years and he retired when I was 12. And when, by the time he had retired, we had moved 23 times because my mom insisted on following the ship wherever it came into port. We were there waiting. And sometimes it was then there a week, sometimes a month, but we were up and down the West Coast, always mostly living in the Plymouth station wagon that was ours that we were in. Now, while we're driving up and down the coast following this ship in, in, in this Navy housing, you know, there's five of us, what, what do you do? And so one of the things we did is we played Monopoly. We played Monopoly for hours and hours and hours. Do you know what kids do when they play Monopoly for hours and hours and hours? They make up new rules. They're not new, they're addendums. Did you know that when you pass go, you get $200? But when you land right on go, you get $400. If you pass go with doubles, you get $400. If you land on go with doubles, you get $600. I bet you never heard that rule before, did you? You won't believe all the rules we made. Now, I'm the oldest. And I was the only one who could read the directions. (laughs) I made up the rules. I always won. So did you notice that if you look on your phone or whatever, it'll tell you when the sun's going to come up tomorrow, right on the money, and when it sets? They can tell you, these guys that do this, they can tell you when it's going to come up 20 years from now. Physical science, creation, stars, all that is absolutely precise because of God's creation and the rules, physical rules and laws that he created, everything flows and goes. And Romans 1.18 says that what we see with our eyes, God's creation, illustrates what we can't see with our eyes. And so there's rules, living life. The Bible gives those to us. And a key one is the devil is always trying to get in and control things. He lost his power, but he's trying to get it back. He's trying to get it back by scheming and by trickery and by messing with us. And, uh, but he knows the rules. And we break them, then he'll take full advantage of those opportunities to control our life. First Peter 3.21 again, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven, have, after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to, to him. And so... We're fighting an enemy, an adversary, that uh, has no bullets in his gun. Uh, he's a lion with no teeth. He just makes a lot of noise and attempts to control through scheming and trickery. Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh that, uh, before you were a Christian, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. 
Now, look at this. When he had disarmed, disarmed, took away their bullets, disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them. You ever pray out loud and say, nah, 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 nah. Jesus prayed you through heaven and every angel in heaven laughed and scorned you. Ha! You're nothing. You wimp. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Revelations 12. Now, there's some discussion on this passage when this took place. Uh, my belief is it took place uh, at the same time that what I just read. Jesus rose from the dead, disarmed the rulers and authorities. Re- uh, Revelations 12:7. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. They were not strong enough because Jesus had disarmed them. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives. Deceives. That's what he does. That's what he does. That's his only tool. He deceives the whole world. He, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. That's the demons. They're always harassing us. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation, the power, the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Christ have come. The accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. Number four, as the disciples of Jesus, we have been given authority. Jesus is in charge, but he says... You're my deputies, you're my ambassadors, you're my servants, you're my disciples. He's given his disciples authority over principalities, powers, rulers, world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So do you know what we do? Who, me? I don't want to be in charge. Uh, I don't want any authority. So you're a disciple of Jesus. And so, as my coach used to say when I was playing baseball, you're the leader. Act like it. So Jesus' words to us, you're my disciple. Act like it. And uh, the devil exists by God's design to make us grow. He is our adversary. We need an adversary to fight against, to get stronger and stronger. Ephesians 6.10 well-known passage when we talk about spiritual warfare finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil stand firm against the schemes of the devil our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the powers against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places therefore Take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist, resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm, stand firm. Therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition. Pray at all times in the spirit. With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. One of the things you've heard me say is if you break some rules, one of the things that Satan gets as a result of the rules is more access to you. 
as he jabbers at you and tempts you and talks to you. And there's ways to get those dudes out of our life. One of them, very, very effective, is to show up to a corporate prayer meeting. Five days of prayer, great. You just go to the five days of prayer. You're in there five hours, ten hours. You don't even have to pray. You're just in there. These demons, they cannot handle that. They can't take it. It's like you being a sheep with ticks on it. You go through sheep dip, the ticks are gone. So all those Klingons are gone. That's good. That's really good. Um, Number five, as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, the main influence that the devil and his demons have over us is they can talk to us. We hear them in our thoughts, tempting us just as he did with Eve. So we don't see them, and therefore we don't identify the thoughts as coming from outside our own body. But that's what they do. And they're pretty good at it. They've been working on it for a while. Deceiving, scheming, tricking, getting us to do what they want. Second Corinthians, Paul says, chapter 11, verse 3, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, his craftiness, your minds, your minds, that's where the battle is in our minds. Your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Uh, and that happens all the time. Number six, believers who faithfully read the Bible, memorize key passages, and meditate on them have no problem resisting the devil, the devil's attempt to control their mind. So you read the Bible every day on a systematic way. Memorize key Bible verses on a regular basis. Meditate on them consistently. And your mind will be, uh, you'll have the mind of Christ, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. His word in you And you'll be able to, what happens is that when you get the word of God in you, in you, in you, in you, and you have a thought or somebody says something to you that's just a little bit off, not major, just a little bit. You ever hear somebody sing special music in church and they hit a flat note? It's sort of like fingernails on a chalkboard. You know, kind of like that. That's what happens. You have the word of God in you, in you, and then you hear or think something just a little bit off. Not much, just a little. And these whistles go, these bells go off, these sirens go You know something's not right. But if you don't read the word regularly, if you're not memorizing it, if it's not in you, then it'll get right by you. And pretty soon it'll get lodged in your brain. It'll become a stronghold. It'll start controlling how you talk, how you think, what you do, decisions and choices that you make. When that happens then he has a ring in your nose. And that's not a good place to be. 1 Peter 5, 8, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert, be on the alert. Your adversary, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's kind of looking around. Who am I going to get? Resist him. Firm in your faith. The word faith there in the Greek has a definite article in front of it. That means it's like a firm in the faith. That means The object of our faith, that's the Bible. Firm in the faith, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Number seven, a powerful weapon that we have have both offensively and defensively against the devil and his demons is prayer. (laughs) 
So there's a war happening over our heads. And it was described in Revelation 12, but it's ongoing. You can see it in various portions of Scripture, Revelation, Daniel, uh, especially in the book of Daniel. Daniel prays, and when Daniel prays, God commissions an angel. And then there's sort of a battle. One of them said, it took me three weeks to get here. And so when we pray, we not only, God not only commissions angels, but he energizes them. And so there's this war going on around us, spiritual warfare. We decide the winner of that war by our praying. We pray a little bit, eh, not much happens. We pray a lot. Then the angels win. They control a lot of what happens on this planet Matthew 6, 9, this is the Lord's Prayer. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. This is a daily prayer. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation. Deliver us from, uh, and many translations say deliver us from evil. But again, the definite article is there in the Greek language. It means the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. We're praying to God for protection. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory. You're in charge. Eight powerful spiritual warfare praying will happen if you read through the Psalms. Highlight in red every reference to enemy, adversary, those who strive against me. Then read only the red highlighted passages and pray accordingly. If you want to do some spiritual war, I mean, it is very, very uh, powerful. Try that. 150 chapters. Uh, You can read all of Psalms in about two and a half hours use a red crayon or your highlighter on your computer screen and every reference that talks about enemies highlight in red then when you get all done start at the beginning and just read the red part and pray it and you will be mm, kicking the devil's butt Um, I mean there are some really cool prayers in the Psalms Uh, and those are a prophecy of the very Prayers that Jesus prayed. Psalms are. You'll see some of them obvious. Psalms 22 and other passages. Jesus on the cross. But all of Psalms, you'll see as you read the Gospels and read the Psalms, read the Gospels, you'll see lots of matches. And when I see obvious matches, I highlight those in in orange. Number nine, every lost person is now in the kingdom of darkness and is being controlled by demons. Interesting to have lots of people say, I don't want to become a Christian and lose my freedom. It's like, yeah, right. They are totally controlled by the kingdom of darkness, every lost person. Colossians 1.13, for he, Jesus, rescued us from the domain of darkness, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, Ephesians 2, 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, that's a lost people. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Number 10, the devil and his demons gain control over Christians because of sin that is not confessed and repented of. So I, every night, uh, when I 
get ready to go to sleep, I say, Lord, thank you for the cool day. Thank you for everything you gave me to do. Tomorrow I'd like to do a little bit more, and then I recount the day, and I confess all known sins to God. People always ask me, what if I forget one? Confess all known sins to God. Uh, if you keep doing that, pretty soon your memory gets better. Uh, you start remembering uh, the, the small ones. But I just, every night, confess all known sins to God. I say, Lord, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. And I am never going to do those again. I may, but I repent. I say, I'm not going to do those again. They are not master over me. Satan's not control of my life. But if you don't, if you just leave them there, then that's the point at which the devil is able to tie on to you. Uh, he gets up close and personal. Ephesians 4.26, be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Opportunity means foothold, legal jurisdiction. So you get angry? No problem. But don't go to bed until you're taken care of it. Otherwise, you give the devil a foothold in your life. And you do that again and again and again and again, and pretty soon, man, you are... Struggling big time. You can't seem to get over sin. You can't control your thoughts. Second Timothy two twenty four. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. <laughs> I hate that verse. But be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him. Now, I believe that's talking about Christians. This is uh, the bondservant. Paul's talking to Timothy who's pastoring the church of Ephesus. And he's saying, Timothy, now don't get in big fights with people. If you got somebody that argues with you and gives you a tough time, correct him with gentleness God will work and they will come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil because he loves to disrupt churches by finding somebody that's uh, just talking to him saying, hey, you should be in charge. Your opinion matters as much as anybody else. Make some fuss. <laughs> and they do. And they'll escape from the snare of the devil. You know, a cool question to ask is, could my name be there? Could I be roped up a bit by the devil it's not hard to get free 2 Corinthians 11.3 I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness I read this earlier but I read it again your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ Acts 5.1 a man named Ananias now this was a Christian guy he's given they're having a special offering just like we do he sells some property. He's going to give it to the special offering. And he decides, you know what? We'll be cool. We'll keep some money for a vacation, but we'll tell everybody that we're giving it all because that way we get a little glory. You know what I mean? So they do. Uh, they sold a piece of property, kept back some of the price for himself and his, with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? The light of the Holy Spirit. Keep back some of the price of the land. You all know the end of that story. Number 11, God created the devil, his demons, to be our adversary so that we would grow. The devil is not an oops. He is not 
messing up God's plans. He is doing exactly what God designed him to do. And that is to be an adversary so that we can grow. Because we're going to rule with Jesus. And we need to learn how here. 1 Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Psalms 3, 1, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Psalms 6, 6 through 7, I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. You ever feel like that? Psalm 17, 9, the wicked who despoil me, my deadly enemies who surround me. They have closed their unfeeling heart with their mouth. They speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They set their eyes to cast us down. He is like a lion that is eager to tear and as a young lion lurking in hiding places. Psalms 25, 19, look upon my enemies for they are many. They hate me with a violent hatred. Psalms 44, 15, all day long my dishonor is before. Did you know that that's one of his goals? Is to make you feel like dirt. You think you're God's son? You think Jesus died for you? You're just a worthless good for nothing. My dishonor is before me. My humiliation has overwhelmed me because, because, because of the voice of him who reproaches and reviles, because of the presence of the enemy and the avenger. Those thoughts all the time. You mess up, sin, fail. I mean, he'll be right there telling you over and over what a failure you are, what a wimp you are. Psalms 55, 3, because of the voice of the enemy, the voice of the enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked, they bring down trouble upon me and and anger. They bear a grudge against me. Psalm 69, 2, I've sunk in deep mire. There is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and a flood overflows me. I'm weary with my crying. My throat is parts. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Somebody asked me, how many demons do you think there are around us? Not as many around me as some of you because I don't have near as much hair. More than the hairs of my head, those who would destroy me are powerful. Psalm 71.10, my enemies have spoken against me. Those who watch for my life have consulted together. Psalms 143.3, the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in dark places like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart is appalled within me. So, none of those verses that I've just read from Psalms apply to me. And the reason is because um, I punched him in the nose. I resisted him strong in my faith. And the word says he will flee from me. It's not difficult, but you got to do it. You can't just passively go through life not recognizing you're in the middle of a battle all around you. And if you break the rules, he'll take full advantage of those. And so we can live in victory all the time. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, there's seven churches addressed, all different. And at the end of every one, there's this statement, he who overcomes, I will. And then there's a blessing. He who overcomes. That's ultimately statements of the judgment seat of Christ. An overcomer. It's from the Greek word Nikao, Nike, winner, champion. Um, he beat the devil. 
You can do it. Revelation 3.12, he overcomes. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will not go out from it anymore. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Number 12, some people don't do very well in battle against our adversary. You know, some people can't catch fish. If you can't fish with me, and I'll teach you how. I catch fish. I'm the world's greatest fisherman. I didn't know if you knew that. Some people don't do very well when it comes to fighting the devil. And the reason is because they don't think about it. They know the principles, the rules, the guidelines, and they have all kinds of problems. First Timothy 1.18. This I command, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the pro- prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. Fight the good fight, keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck. In regard to their faith. Fight the good fight. Otherwise you're going to suffer shipwreck. 13. Those who know how to fight will win the battle and grow in character. When we were moving up and down the west coast. Moving 23 times. Most of the places, the schools, the communities that we lived in. Were lots of gangs. Because of everybody moving in and out. And so that's that same thing. There was the bullies and the gangs and the whole nine yards. And uh. We discovered, uh, there's five of us, myself, Cliff, Matt, and then my sister, and my youngest brother, Jeff. He was kind of a baby through all that years. But us three older boys, that uh, we could whip any kid in any school in any community if we stuck together. Nobody messed with the Duke boys. Now, we never started anything, but someone else would, and then we finished it. Uh, Mom, first day of school, would never put a, a shirt with buttons on it. Because little kids, when they fight, they rip all the buttons off. So it was either a T-shirt or a sweater. Because you just roll around, you know, the ground and, and rip each other's buttons off. But uh, we grew up knowing how to fight because that's how we kind of got along in the schools that we're in as we grew up. Zechariah 10.5, they will be as mighty men treading down the enemy in the mire of the streets in battle. And they will fight because the Lord will be with them. Psalm 60, verse 12, through God we shall do valiantly, and it is he who will tread down our adversaries. Romans, Paul says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Crush Satan under your feet. I like to remind him of that all the time. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul's at the end of his life getting ready to be martyred. He said, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 14, there are principles of spiritual warfare on how to win the war that every Christian should learn and, and practice. So Ephesians 6 is full of those principles. Uh, you could read those and study if you... I've, I preached for half a year about 10 years ago on that on those verses. Uh, if you're interested in any old sermons, somebody said, you know, Pastor D, I discovered listening to your sermons that the older they are, the better they are. Your new ones aren't much good. <laughs> I guess that's what happens when you get old, you get kind of senile. 15, the key principle is that the battle was intended by God to be fought together with other Christians, not alone. Probably one of the biggest problems with most modern-day Christians is, I don't need you. I can do it by myself. 
and you can't and you won't. And when the devil's prowling around looking for someone to devour, he's looking for a lone ranger because they're easy pickings. First Chronicles, I love this passage. For day by day, men came to David to help him until there was a great army like the army of God. And then goes on and describes them. This is before that passage. There came over to David in the stronghold in the wilderness mighty men of valor, men trained for war, who could handle shield and spear, and whose faces were like the faces of lions. <laughs> I know some people like that. And they were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. These were mighty men. They came to David. They were a great, great army. So let me read to you Ephesians 6 one more time. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. That's a positive statement. You will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against rulers, but against rulers, against the powers, against the life forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. That's those thoughts, those words that he's shooting your way. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition. Pray at all times in the Spirit. With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Now, you won't get this passage if you don't understand a truth that most people don't get because they don't read Greek. That is, this whole passage is plural. There's not a a singular pronoun in the whole passage. It's all you all, you all, we do this together. We don't do it as independent Lone Rangers. 16, a major principle of winning the war against the devil is that it will be won over time by those who endure. The devil left Jesus until an opportune time. And you will resist him and he will flee and he will come back. And he will come back. And he will come back. And you fight the war till the day you die or till Jesus comes. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance, the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is in charge. Jesus is. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Perfect example of spiritual warfare in the Old Testament is the Israelites fighting the Amalekites. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill so that it came about when Moses held his hand up, Israel prevailed. When he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. Moses' hands were heavy, then they took a stone, put it under him. He sat on it, Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. That's all day long. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. That's a picture of the war over their heads. Think, why? Moses' hands, what difference does that make? It was a picture of prayer, and from that prayer, the angels prevailed over the demons, and when his hands went down, the demons, and all day long, with the help of friends, 
they prevailed and won the war. So we're the church, the body of Christ. We've been given authority, and we can trample Satan under our feet. We can resist him strong on our faith. We can intercede for each other as we see people struggling. And um, we can grow and become stronger and stronger and stronger. Our adversary designed by God to make us strong. But we just can't be uh, traipsing off through the war in a battle with no armor and no gun and think we won't get hurt. So we're going to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves as we live life and conquer the kingdom of darkness and rescue people from the domain of darkness as servants of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for saving us. Thank you that you are a king, you are ruler, you're in charge now. And we are your servants. And um, every day, Lord, we want to serve you, do your will. You're master, king, lord of our life. We love you. We look forward to seeing you face to face and uh, ruling with you in the kingdom. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.